everyone, my name is Dr. Michael Nowak, and today I'll be reading part three of cardiology textbook excerpts on the approach to cardiac disease diagnosis, mixed with a few commentaries and explanations. Let's begin. Murmurs. Systolic murmurs are very common and do not always imply cardiac disease. They are usually related on a scale of one to six where grade 1 is barely audible, grade 4 is associated with palpable vibrations, also called thrills, grade 5 can be heard with the edge of the stethoscope, and grade 6 can be heard without a stethoscope. Most murmurs fall in the 1 to 3 range, and murmurs in the 4 to 6 range are almost always due to pathologic conditions. Severe disease can exist with grades 1 to 3 or no cardiac murmurs, however. The most common systolic murmur is the crescendo-decrescendo murmur that increases in intensity as blood flows early in systole and diminishes in intensity through the second half of systole. This murmur can be due to vigorous flow in a normal heart or to obstructions in flow, as occurs with aortic stenosis, pulmonic stenosis, or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The so-called innocent flow murmurs are usually grades 1 to 2 and occur very early in systole. They may have a vibratory quality and are usually less apparent when the patient is in the sitting position, when the venous return is less. If an ejection sound is heard, there is usually some abnormality of the semilunar valves. Although louder murmurs may be due to pathologic cardiac conditions, this is not always so. Distinguishing benign from pathologic systolic flow murmurs is one of the major challenges of clinical cardiology. Benign flow murmurs can be heard in 80% of children. The incidence declines with age, but may be prominent during pregnancy or in adults who are thin or physically well trained. The murmur is usually benign in a patient with a soft flow murmur that diminishes in intensity in the sitting position and neither a history of cardiovascular disease nor other cardiac findings. The holosystolic or pan-systolic murmur is almost always associated with cardiac pathology. The most common cause of this murmur is atrioventricular valve regurgitation, but it can also be observed in conditions such as ventricular septal defect in which an abnormal communication exists between the two chambers of markedly different systolic pressures. Although it is relatively easy to determine that these murmurs represent an abnormality, it is more of a challenge to determine their origins. Keep in mind that such conditions as mitral regurgitation, which usually produce holosystolic murmurs, may produce crescendo-decrescendo murmurs adding to the difficulty in differentiating benign from pathologic systolic murmurs. Diastolic murmurs are always abnormal and are usually graded on a 1 to 4 scale. The most frequently heard diastolic murmur is the high-frequency decrescendo early diastolic murmur of aortic regurgitation. This is usually heard best in the upper left sternal border or in the aortic area or the upper right sternal border, and may radiate to the left lower sternal border and the apex. This murmur is usually very high frequency and may be difficult to hear. 
Although the murmur of pulmonic regurgitation may sound like that of aortic regurgitation when pulmonary artery pressures are high, if structural disease of the valve is present with normal pulmonary pressures, the murmur usually has a mid-range frequency and begins with a slight delay after the pulmonic second heart sound. Pulmonic regurgitation is usually best heard in the pulmonic area, which is the left second intercostal space peristernally. Mitral stenosis produces a low-frequency rumbling diastolic murmur that is decrescendo in early diastole, but may become crescendo up to the first heart sound with moderately severe mitral stenosis and sinus rhythm. The murmur is best heard at the apex in the left lateral decubitus position with the bell of the stethoscope. Similar findings are heard in tricuspid stenosis, but the murmur is loudest at the left lower sternal border. A continuous murmur implies a connection between a high and a low pressure chamber throughout the cardiac cycle, such as occurs with a fistula between the aorta and the pulmonary artery. If the connection is a patent ductus arteriosus, the murmur is heard best under the left clavicle. It has a machine-like quality. Continuous murmurs must be distinguished from the combination of systolic and diastolic murmurs in patients with combined lesions, i.e. aortic stenosis and regurgitation. Traditionally, the origin of heart murmurs was based on five factors. Number one, their timing in the cardiac cycle. Number two, where on the chest they were heard. Number three, their characteristics. Number four, their intensity. And number five, their duration. Unfortunately, this traditional classification system is unreliable in predicting the underlying pathology. A more accurate method, dynamic auscultation, examines the intensity, duration, and characteristics of the murmur by bedside maneuvers that alter hemodynamics. The simplest of these maneuvers is observation of any changes in murmur intensity with normal respiration because all right-sided cardiac murmurs should increase in intensity with normal inspiration. Although some exceptions exist, the method is very reliable for detecting such murmurs. Inspiration is associated with reductions in intrathoracic pressure that increase venous return from the abdomen and the head, leading to an increased flow through the right heart chambers. The consequence increase in pressure increases the intensity of right-sided murmurs. These changes are best observed in the sitting position, where venous return is smallest and changes in intrathoracic pressure can produce the greatest effect on venous return. In a patient in the supine position, when venous return is near maximum, there may be little change observed with respiration. The ejection sound caused by pulmonic stenosis does not routinely increase in intensity with inspiration. The increased blood in the right heart accentuates atrial contraction, which increases late diastolic pressure in the right ventricle, partially opening the stenotic pulmonic valve and thus diminishing the opening sound of this valve with the subsequent systole. Changes in position are an important part of normal auscultation. 
They can also be of great value in determining the origin of cardiac murmurs. Murmurs dependent on venous return, such as innocent flow murmurs, are softer or absent in upright positions. Others, such as the murmur associated with hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, are accentuated by reduced left ventricular volume associated with the upright position. In physical capable individuals, a rapid squat from the standing position is often diagnostically valuable because it suddenly increases venous return and left ventricular volume and accentuates flow murmurs but diminishes the murmur of hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. The stand squat maneuver is also useful for alternating the timing of the mid-systolic click caused by a mitral valve prolapse during systole. When the ventricle is small during standing, the prolapse occurs earlier in systole, moving the mid-systolic click to an early systole. During squatting, the ventricle dilates and the prolapse is delayed in systole, resulting in a mid in a late mid-systolic click. The Valsalva maneuver is also frequently used. The patient bears down and expires against a closed glottis, increasing intrathoracic pressure and markedly reducing venous return to the heart. Although almost all cardiac murmurs decrease in intensity during this maneuver, there are two exceptions. Exception number one. The murmur of hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy may become louder because of the diminished left ventricular volume. Number two, the murmur associated with mitral regurgitation for mitral valve prolapse may become longer and louder because of the earlier occurrence of prolapse during systole. When the maneuver is very vigorous and prolonged, even these two maneuvers may eventually diminish in intensity. Therefore, the Valsalva maneuver should be held for only about 10 seconds so as not to cause prolonged diminution of the cerebral and coronary blood flow. Isometric hand grip exercises have been used to increase arterial and left ventricular pressure. These maneuvers increase the flow gradient for mitral regurgitation, ventricular septal defect, and aortic regurgitation. The murmurs should then increase in intensity. Increasing arterial and left ventricular pressure increases left ventricular volume, thereby decreasing the murmur of hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. If the patient is unable to perform isometric exercises, transient arterial occlusion of both upper extremities with sphingomanometers can achieve the same increases in left-sided pressure. Noting the changes in murmur intensity in the heart beat following a premature ventricular contraction and comparing these to a beat that does not can be extremely useful. The premature ventricular contraction interrupts the cardiac cycle and during the subsequent compensatory pause, an extra long diastole occurs leading to increased left ventricular filling. Therefore, murmurs caused by the flow of blood out of the left ventricle, i.e. aortic stenosis, increase in intensity. There is usually no change in the intensity of the murmur of typical mitral regurgitation 
because blood pressure falls during the long pause and increases the gradient between the left ventricle and the aorta, allowing more forward flow. This results in the same amount of mitral regurgitant flow as on a normal beat with a higher aortic pressure and less forward flow. The increased volume during the long pause goes out to the aorta rather than back into the left atrium. Unfortunately, there is no reliable way of inducing a premature ventricular contraction in most patients. It is fortuitous when a physician, PA, or NP is present for one. Atrial fibrillation with markedly varying cycle lengths produces the same phenomenon and can be very helpful in determining the origins of murmur. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast, part three of cardiology textbook excerpts on the approach to cardiac disease diagnosis. My name is Dr. Michael Nowak, and please check out our other podcast by Certified Medical Educators, and have a wonderful day.